0: Hi all, just a warning that today's podcast discusses mental health and mental health nursing. If this may cause any distress for you, please give this episode a miss. For additional resources, please visit the Beyond Blue website or call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Welcome to SCU Buzz Podcast. I'm River, and today I'll be chatting with Inka Fisher, a Southern Cross academic within the Faculty of Health and a consultant in healthcare leadership. Inka holds a Master of Mental Health Nursing and a Master of Healthcare Leadership from Southern Cross University. We will be discussing what it is like working in the mental health field, the mental health impact of natural disasters on a community, and the need to reduce stigma. Welcome to the podcast, Inka. It's great to have you join us.
1: Thank you, River. Lovely to be here.
0: So do you want to just jump in and tell us a little bit about yourself and how you developed an interest in nursing?
1: You know, it's funny to be asked that question because I never, at the outset, I never thought I was going to be a nurse. It wasn't in my, you know, plan, <laughs> funnier plan that we we think we're going to plan life and have it all mapped out for us. I had, a, I had a, my first child and I um, actually went through the birthing experience at Lismore Base Hospital, which is where I ended up working years later. And at that time, I thought, oh, my goodness, midwifery, what an incredible job to be, you know, welcoming these young babies into the world and supporting parents as they transition into that journey. That's what I'm going to do. And at that time, you couldn't enroll directly into midwifery. You needed to do the nursing first and then go on to specialize in midwifery. So I signed up into nursing. And I was sort of like, oh, yeah, nursing, okay. And then I was like, ah, there's all these facets to nursing that I had just never, I never knew existed. And um, I had one of my final placements in my final year was in mental health nursing. And I had a, it really piqued my curiosity. I'd never come across mental health nursing. I didn't know it existed. I think a lot of people don't. And it was just this whole other world. And I realized that, you know, the foundation of mental health nursing was about connecting with people and walking with them on their recovery journeys. And I was like, wow, I could actually, as my day to day job, be paid to connect with people and and walk with them. That's that's um, that's meaningful work. And that was a real light bulb moment for me.
0: Wow. And so I did a little reading up on you as well. Um... I learned that your first placement in, in mental health nursing was within the justice, correct me if I'm wrong, is it called Justice Mental Health?
1: Justice Health, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I was actually working in the courthouse um, at the Lismore police station. And I had no idea that we had specialist mental health nurses working in the justice system in that kind of context. I knew that we had a forensic system where, you know, people could um, obtain support if they'd had a conviction and they had a mental health diagnosis and that would support them in an inpatient kind of setting. But I didn't know that we had specialist mental health nurses working actually in courthouses as well. So that was another eye opener for me. And I just had the most um, most incredible role model there showing, who was just such an expert in her field, showing me the ropes and took me under her wing. And I was like, right, this is something I actually want to explore more.
0: Wow. And so what what was it like being that that support in that setting? It's, it's quite important, I think, that these people quite often fall through the cracks in most faucets of society. So what was it like for you? to support these people through quite a stressful time in their lives.
1: I think still mental health on the whole, even though there's a sort of budding awareness of it coming into mainstream, I think it's still largely misunderstood. And my sense is that unless you've had direct experience of perhaps family, carers, friends, relatives of your own experience maybe, that it remains largely an unknown world that we tend to just shelve for other people doing that or feeling that and then get along with our own lives in our own bubble but what i've what i've really learned through working with people who who do need additional supports with mental health is how much it takes a community and and the community responsibility that is there for us all to be moving outside of that contained bubble and actually connecting with each other embracing each other to move sort of more as one rather than the individual model that we see it doesn't work for people
0: absolutely i agree mm. <laughs> <laughs> so you've worked as a nurse unit manager at an adult mental health inpatient unit as well would you be able to tell us a little bit about that how you found yourself working in that position and what it was like
1: mm so i started working well, to backtrack a little bit, I guess, i I decided to do the Specialist to Mental Health um, program. It's called the Transition to Professional Practice. So that's sort of that was the first right. I'm going to specialize in mental health, and I stepped into that. And that was a program run by the the local health district, and it was a fantastic program and really gave me the foundation in the the richness of the meaning of the work that we do and the evidence basis behind that. And then I because I was working in the realm, I was able to immediately put that into practice. And I just had so many light bulb moments, <laughs> as well as a, a really lovely community of mentors around me and other people who are going through the same journey to to really grow and develop in that space. I think there's a there's a really deep, deep level of emotional intelligence, as we call it now. And self awareness that's needed to to work in the mental health space in a sustainable way, and there were some skills that I had to learn very early on about how to walk with people, um, talk with them, be fully present, but not take on other people's experiences and stories, because I think that I think that that can be the undoing when you you try to fix. And you end up giving of yourself in a way that's not sustainable for you. And so I think that's a very big part of the, that early, the early formation for me of what it meant to be a mental health nurse and how I would come at it from a, from a way that supported me where I could most support others in a very real way. So I, I did that program and then I um, worked right across all the different areas of mental health. So I was working in acute crisis, so I was working in the the youth and family and the child and adolescent teams and then found myself in adult inpatient and working in an adult inpatient unit where it was sort of, I think in the article I refer to it as the pointy end of, of mental health. and. And I very much think it is, and it's it's a level of mental health, I guess, where people are in crisis and they're they're at the brink of needing intensive support and um really the the mental health team that rallies around them becomes that community. And it's very rich work that is done in that space to to the best of our ability with you know within the current climate and the system that we have. So I was working in that space and I was all in. I just I said yes to everything. Every opportunity that came up, I was like, I'm in. How can I, you know, how can I support? What can I do if there was an opportunity to be a facilitator at something or to run groups with students or to run groups with um, our, our clients and consumers that were on the ward? I was all in. I was just like, sign me up for everything. <laughs> and through that, I, I really expanded my network of Years and mentors and resources that were around me and was quite quickly mentored into a specialist clinical role so that was called a clinical nurse specialist grade two and I worked in that role for some time not very long though because shortly after that and i had been doing this for a couple of years now shortly after that a vacancy came up for our nurse unit manager And it was quite quick. And they said, Inca, you're sort of working in a senior role, tap, tap, tap. Would you mind backfilling this for a little while? And I was like, gosh, I've never worked in management. (laughs) Okay, all right. And in the spirit of I'll give anything a go, I was like, I've got my mentors around me. I've got great resources. I know that I'm going to be well taken care of in this space. And I said, yes. And I stepped in to, to backfill the role. Well, that continued, and it continued, and then they advertised, and I was successful in um, becoming permanent in that space. And I tell you, stepping into leadership and management is a whole other kettle of fish when it you know it comes to working with people. But what I found was that the skills I'd developed in being a mental health nurse, which is about you know actively listening, being really authentic, bringing my whole self to work connecting with people seeing their strengths that all just directly translated into my work as a manager and meant that our team became very close absolutely adore them i think they're a fantastic team working with you know people who are in absolute crisis and in in challenging circumstances and um yeah it was it was a fantastic time in my career wow
0: and and I imagine it's quite important when you're doing this work to have a close team of people. Do you did you have any um strategies to bring your team closer together? Or was that something that just happened organically as you worked together?
1: I think a bit of both, because when I first came into the role, obviously it was a role shift for me. So I was going from working within the team then to being in the the formal leadership position within the team, so what we what we embarked on, and I was sort of leading and driving this, but it was very much a team effort, working together, was looking at ways to build trust, build rapport, relationship, connection, um, ways where people felt safe to speak up and out, and you know, it's, it's so important working in this environment that people know that they can reach out to their colleague at any moment for whatever is needed and that you have each other's backs and that you've got, you know, the backs of the people that you're serving as well in public service, because I think that that's really important. Everyone there has an incredible work ethic and, and we were able to really drill down to, well, why are we here? what is the purpose of being in this space? And I think that that was a really um, sort of pivotal time for us coming together and realizing we're all there for the same reason. And so that that created a great kind of motivator in the team. And a lot of us were, you know, we might've had different ideas of exactly how to do the work, but that made it even richer. And to be able to develop and, and grow a culture where that was really embraced, I think was really successful in that space.
0: Mm. And so um, you mentioned just then as well how uh, it was really important for your colleagues to know that they could speak out and up and um, speak to, to other colleagues as well to receive support or help in their role. What What other support is available for mental health care nurses working within the industry? I think it's something that maybe the general public don't talk about often of, of where the supporters get their support as well.
1: Yeah that's that's a really great question. I think there's a few different levels that that can happen at and in a few different spaces across the landscape. So we have the the peer to peer support and that can come in the form of um informal debriefs or debriefing at the end of the day which is a practice that we really encourage in mental health because of, you know, that need to self-care and have that I guess that separation between your own life and your journey and that of others and making sure that you're not absorbing that and taking it on and carrying it in a burdensome type of way where you, you have uh, I think what is common in the healthcare space for a lot of people is that they develop a sense of burdensome responsibility for others that somehow they're entirely responsible for something that happens to another person, which, as you can imagine, is an incredibly heavy bag to be towing around with you and and not realistic either because there's there's so many things that play into where somebody lands in life and and what their crossroads may be in each moment. So debriefing is super important to be able to be working through your experiences that you have each day. And that can be formal and informal. Then there's then there's more formal mentoring relationships or perhaps clinical supervision that happens. And that's something that's recommended by the Australian College of Mental Health Nurses um, as something that everybody should be able to access through their workplace. But there's also the option to access that privately and have a private arrangement where you. it's more founded in not just your experience, but then relating that back to clinical practice and looking at, well, how will that inform how I perhaps approach things in the future? What will that look like for me? And and what are alternate lenses I could use to to support this person or to, you know, look at this issue that we have in the system or or at whatever level it sits. And I think all of those are really important so that you know you're not on your own. Because not only does it take a community to support people who are needing support with mental health, wherever they sit on that continuum. But it's also really important that our supporters have a community as well and that there's, there's a sense of belonging and connection that underpins that for everybody.
0: Mm. And you mentioned a little bit earlier too, you spoke on how as a mental health care nurse, it's important not to take on your patients your patient's emotions or whatever you're helping your patient with. Do you have any tools and strategies of how to help implement that in people to not take on other people's emotions, but to still be able to support them?
1: Yeah, I think it starts with a real foundation in self-care, like a 101 of self-care of being quite present with yourself, being quite aware of how you're feeling in your body each day, how you're feeling when you show up to work what you're bringing to work that day, whether it's things that have happened for you that morning or perhaps that evening, depending on what shift you're doing, and, and recognizing that that may have the potential to influence how you interact that day. So that's sort of the self-awareness and the self-care. So being quite prepared to take care of yourself and nurture yourself So that you're not then showing up in your professional relationships with your clients and with other colleagues with a need that's been unmet. So you're not looking for something outside of yourself from them. And then the other layer to that that I would add is being able to observe what's happening around you, whether that's in the situation, in the environment or in your relationships with others or the interactions between others. Because when we take that observer stance, rather than being right in the middle of it and and sort of, you know, right in the thick of it and invested in it and and thrown about in the washing machine of emotions that can come with being in something rather than observing it, it just, it gives you the ability to maintain a level of clarity and recognize what's yours and what's not yours. It's a skill to develop definitely. And, and it's something that, I would say everyone could benefit from, but especially in the mental health sphere, it's a skill to develop, to work with people, to absolutely essentially adore people that you work with and support them with unconditional positive regard, yet not at the expense of yourself and recognising that there's a way to do that that is actually sustainable as well. So
0: I think... Nurses in in any crisis in in most fields of practice are always on the front line when um, crisis hits. So what was it like to be a mental health care nurse on the front line during COVID-19 as well as the 2022 floods in the Northern Rivers?
1: Starting with COVID, uh, I was in a management role through that period. and. When COVID first sort of emerged as a a thing, in a lot of ways, it was a bit of an unknown entity and we didn't know exactly what we would be working with. So I think that there was at all levels in the healthcare system and for people at all levels, a bit of a fear and an uncertainty because we didn't know what the landscape was going to look like. Some of the conversations that were being had in the corridor were things like, Well, what if it gets to the point where the army has come in, where nursing intents on the ovals, like absolute pandemic level, you know, and, and what's that going to look like for us and to be able to step back and go, okay, well, what physical resources would we need, you know, and that level of planning. And I think for staff, you know, working on the floor and supporting patients, whether they were in ED or in mental health or, you know, anywhere in between even out in the community as well that was that was a whole other kettle of fish but there was such a level of uncertainty in those early days and that was fueled by a lot of the reports as well that we were getting from the media and from other countries that whilst there was a lot of validity to what was presented there was also a level of drama that was um you know being depicted there and i think that that just embedded the fear even more but the reality was we didn't know what we were working with and it's it's hard to lean into uncertainty in those periods. But fortunately, you know, as as the picture emerged and then we realised that it wasn't going to be at that level, that we just sort of we were constantly adapting and evolving. Okay, what's this going to look like? Okay, we've got this plan. Well, how about, oh, this is happening now, so we need to adapt that. And it was just, we were constantly pivoting and constantly adjusting and adapting. And everybody was wearing a lot of hats in the organisation and doing a lot of roles and getting very innovative and creative, which was actually really amazing to watch just how adaptive everybody was and my hat goes off to everybody working in the healthcare space, through that, you know, especially that critical period of COVID, where I know for myself, I was working sort of 60-hour weeks for a very consistent period there, just because of the level of demand that had increased, the level of the constantly adapting policy and procedure, as well as having mental health patients that had suspected or confirmed COVID infection as well, and, and the immense planning at that had to go around that because um, it's, it's, we're not, we're a, a community environment essentially in, in the inpatient units and it's not, we're not set up to have people isolated and yeah. contained. <laughs> so, so that didn't sort of go hand in hand <laughs> with our with our values and the way we were set up to work.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. I feel like um, isolation sometimes is the reason why we need mental health care support. So that would have be been quite the juxtaposition
1: Yes, very much, very much conflicting.
0: Yeah. And so, what was it like uh, during the twenty twenty two floods? Did you find that you had an an increase in patients and clients coming through the service, or did it affect the patients and clients already accessing the service?
1: Yes, yes, and yes to to all all of those. So imminently, as it was happening, we saw injuries coming through ED, and that was probably the predominance of of what we saw in the emergency department was people with infections from being in floodwater and having a cut, that was was really common, Um, people who had lost everything in crisis moments, and they were coming in for support. But we also had a lot of our population that we work with who perhaps it'd been um, accessing homelessness services and um, shelters and things like that. A lot of those services were just completely wiped out as, as well as the resources. And so there was a real gap in the, the community support sector. And then that fell back onto, people were thrown into crisis because of that. So it was a it was a really challenging time, I think, for people who were already experiencing additional challenges. And then at the same time, a lot of the staff were going through, you know, the, the very similar experiences, possibly having lost everything or not able to get to work. We had staff members that were sleeping on campus quite a lot and still trying to commit to working. So I think working under those conditions when there's been such an such a intense level of community crisis like that, what I observed was in a way it brought people together as well because there was this commonality it broke down the barriers between you know some of those perceived barriers that can be there between staff and and patients or clients at the different levels within organizations and we really had to rally together to to just get very real about well what do people need right now okay you need a shower you need a meal you need some basic first aid then let's look at you know what's next and and with a lot of people um, at that time were living out of the, you know, the makeshift centers that we'd set up, emergency evacuation centers and things like that. So that was sort of the acute phase of the flooding that happened. But it it shifted, sort of moving into more of a midterm picture. We've seen the fallout of people's sort of longer-term mental health and well-being. So not just sort of the pointy end of mental health, but but the morale and the well-being and the access to services started to have a really obvious impact on the whole community. And I think because it was the whole community, then they didn't necessarily have those pillars in the community that they would routinely turn to to support each other. Because everybody had been affected so drastically, whether it was businesses or homes or at whatever level, schools. Um, yeah, so so I think when it moved more to the the community, mental health teams were doing just a lot of intensive work and a lot of outreach work, and working very closely with the other support systems that we have in place in terms of accommodation, meals, um, headspace, well-being. Because it's people at all ages as well that are being affected um, financially and just really making sure that we're all working together for the same purpose and and communicating clearly and in what the community's needs were.
0: Mm. And when you study um, nursing or when you go through your placements um, for mental health care nursing, do they cover in the curriculum or in your placements what to do during a pandemic or what to do in intense community crisis?
1: what we do cover in the undergraduate nursing course is very much looking at the biopsychosocial model of health so that's the that the foundational concept of that is that holistic healthcare is based on the whole person so it's not just somebody comes to ed for example using using a basic example they they have a cut on their toe and you put a bandaid on it all fixed a plus b equals c and off you go <laughs> there's there's so much more to healthcare and well-being and especially you know in the mental health well-being sector where we know that yes physical illness can impact on mental health as can you know your sense of belonging as can your connection to country as can you know your sense of place in your family as can your financial you know there's so much that that becomes a part of what it means to be well and that's very much what we look at so that's really well covered in undergraduate nursing and then built upon and extended upon in the mental health nursing postgraduate courses that we have at a whole other level again but we don't directly look at and perhaps they will now <laughs> what to do in a pandemic <laughs> that is not covered anywhere there is no manual <laughs> you know there's, there's no um I think organisations have contingency plans and at a state level, we have policies and procedures in place of what to do in extreme emergencies and, and who to contact. But but there's no guidance on as a clinician, how do you hold yourself through that and what's the best way to support others?
0: Hmm. So being a mental health care nurse in Lismore, a rural area, I imagine comes with a slightly different set of guidelines or experience, say, as to someone who is practicing in a city or metropolitan area, are there any barriers to accessing in regional areas um, for people needing mental health care support?
1: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Loaded question, River. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think there's, there's multiple prongs that sort of feed into this question of some of the barriers to access as we call it for mental health care we're looking at a dispersed population so across the the geographic dispersion we cover a really broad area within our health district alone the northern new south wales health district and so even just for example a community outreach mental health outreach clinician whether it's a nurse or a social worker or whatever field, you know they specialize. in. we all work under a very sort of collaborative, um, multidisciplinary model in mental health. So for a clinician to go out and access people, they could be driving two hours one direction, and if they're not home, two hours back again. So when we look at you know getting services to people and getting people to services there's a very literal access to services barrier that's there when you're in um, rural and remote areas. We have some remote um, Aboriginal communities as well and sometimes, you know, roads are cut off out there or clinicians can't get out to the community to, to link in or there might be a crisis in community and that can impact access to care as well. Then we look at you know how many staff we have how many people that are in our community so there's there's an urgent need for more mental health clinicians and the need is greater than ever before having come out of COVID and having come out of the the floods and things like that to have the the people that with the willingness and the expertise and the care to be standing there ready to walk with others on their journey to sort of rebuild the community. And that's not just in the Northern Rivers though. I think that that has, um, you know, we're seeing a shortage of nurses, for example, right right across the state and in fact, throughout Australia. So I, I think that it's magnified in the rural, remote and regional areas because we don't have that same transience of population that the metro areas have. And if you work with a health service in these kind of areas, often that's the only health service. It's not like you can pop to the next suburb and work with another one. And so, you know, getting a, harnessing a good job and, you know, it's all very who you know, what you know, embedding in the community and and raising up our community to be part of the solution, so to speak.
0: And so you mentioned quite early on in the podcast, you touched on um, mental health in all facets, still having a little bit of a stigma attached to it. What can we do as a community to help combat that stigma surrounding mental health and mental health care support?
1: What I observe is that we seem to still be afraid to talk about it in a very real way. And because that asks us to be authentic. And it actually asks us to be transparent with each other. And I think as as people, we we are on the side of caution around this kind of space. Um, we are on the side of, or oh, can I trust you? Or, or perhaps you have nothing to offer me or making assumptions. Um, and that all goes to reinforce this idea that you have to do it on your own. Rather than we're actually here together in this together, and we can walk together as one community, however small or broad that community is um, depends on how willing we are to open up to each other and to get very real about what's happening. I think having the courage to to be transparent and you know we can all role model that and to not give ourselves a hard time about whatever our perceived imperfections may be we hear people talking about you know normalizing mental health i think what i what i would like to see is normalizing connection and normalizing just being very authentic and transparent and that's where the responsibility can you know, be dispersed amongst everybody in the community rather than just falling on to one person who perhaps is experiencing a crisis or has had an ongoing challenge with a particular area of mental health that they need that support with, but because of the climate around them, they don't feel that they can can be transparent because they're in a more vulnerable state.
0: Mm. So do you have any advice for people in the community um, who may be fine who, who may have found themselves in a position to be giving mental health first aid or to be supporting to be the first supporter of a person who maybe might need to access a service do you have any advice for that person on how they can support that person and keep themselves safe as well
1: I think that the foundation of what we can offer each other in supporting each other, or or if you, you are in a position where there's, you know, a situation and, and you're there and you, you've become the, the support person, as you call it, that, you know, it's about being present. It's about listening, actively listening, um, not rushing to fix anything, but actually just being there. And sometimes, you know, gently reframing things can be really supportive. Have you considered what it would be like if you offer an alternative? You know, have you considered what if we tried this now? Would you feel comfortable with that? And offering options. Um, And I think those, you know, just really leveling with people and connecting in with them and being prepared to listen can be a huge part of any kind of, you know, inverted commas therapeutic support that anyone can offer one another. And I think the flip side also is that, you know, you need to be aware of your own safety. And if you ever feel unsafe for yourself to, you know, step out of that situation and perhaps, you know, call some other support services in, formal supports if if that's what's required, or or let somebody else know what's happening so that you can you can support that person as a community or as a family or whatever the situation may be. And I think that you know, drawing on your skills in empathy that you would, how you would show your care with anyone, but giving the person a lot of space to express is really important and a lot of space to um, actually share their story and where they're at and and just being allowed to do that can be so healing.
0: Mm, That's some really beautiful advice. Um, So we only have time for one more question what advice do you have for people interested in studying mental health nursing
1: do it do it do it <laughs> <laughs> that's my advice look it's been for me it's been such an incredibly rich adventure i would call it and and deeply personal in a lot of ways like i've learned so much about myself and such an awareness now of what I bring to the table, and also areas that perhaps you know aren't my strength, where i've needed to I've needed to grow and develop, perhaps become more assertive or find other ways to relate to people from all walks of life and I would say if you're considering mental health nursing that to explore it try and understand what it is and and you'll only become richer for that whether it's for you to continue with for one year five years ten years you never know where life is going to take you and to be very open to every opportunity that comes your way
0: Mm, that's some great advice too Inka thank you so much for being with us here today it's been such a pleasure to talk with you
1: thank you River what a joy
0: We would like to acknowledge the Widgeable Wyable people of Bundjalung Country as the traditional owners of this land. We would like to acknowledge and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging.